You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to Glendale Christian Church and welcome to our online worship. We're so thankful that you are worshiping with us and participating and engaging with us in this format today. Today in our, in our message, we're continuing in the series that we've been in for a few weeks now called Growing Down. And during this series, we're asking the question, what does it mean to be an adult? What's it look like to be an adult? And what if those things that make us an adult, make us effective citizens of our communities, actually keep us from Jesus and the kingdom of God? Jesus said that if we wouldn't come to him like a little child would, then we would never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if that's the case, then maybe we need to choose to grow down in certain areas of our life so that we can ultimately choose to grow up in Jesus. Maybe we need to relearn and, in some cases, unlearn some things about adulthood. I'm going to ask a really stupid question, so just bear with me. But you can, as you're watching this at home, you can raise your hand too. Anybody ever feel stressed? Yeah, I get it. That's a really dumb question, isn't it? Because we all feel stressed at, at some point or another, especially given the, the world's circumstances that we live in right now. Recently, the boys, Noah and Eli, and I were having a conversation about our schedules. And we were just trying to get our, our week planned out and a little bit more of our month planned out. But as they kept talking about the different things that they had on their calendars, the, the different things that they needed to uh, be at and the different things that they needed to complete, I could just start to feel the stress mounting on myself. They probably listed 20 or so things that they either needed to do or needed to be at. And none of those things really in included my schedule or Christy's schedule. And so I could just feel this stress starting to to overwhelm me. And stress can make us feel overwhelmed. And sometimes it can make us feel paralyzed. It's, it's like we know we need to eat that elephant, but where do we even take the first bite from? And like many of you, I found that the older you get, the more stressed you become. You add more obligations and more responsibilities and more commitments, and suddenly you turn around and wonder, when in the world did everything get so complicated? And, and everything is more complicated now, isn't it? Relationships are no longer simple and, and honest, but they're flooded with nonverbal signals and tainted with personal insecurities that cause us to wonder, what did she really mean, even though she said something completely different? Decisions are, are no longer straightforward yeses or nos, but are instead plagued with scenario after scenario of potential consequences. Even following God seems to be more complicated now because of that feeling that you have to weigh out every ethical and moral issue and you have to examine each choice from every possible angle before you can move forward. You, you might be tempted to think that what we're talking about today is, is mere busyness, the, the inability to manage a calendar and to prioritize what needs to be done on a daily basis. But busyness is an issue that that needs to be dealt with and actually a little later in this series we're going to deal with busyness but we're not dealing with that today today we're talking about complexity and complexity is not so much an issue of time management as it is an issue of clutter you know how clutter works if you've ever had to move you you start to pack box after box as you sort through all of the things that you've uh, ever owned uh, that you've ever accumulated all while wondering why you ever thought certain things were worth keeping in the first place, right? It's not like you meant to keep that ceramic cat that you picked up on vacation or that rock that you picked up from the, from the trip to the park. It just sort of happened. And, and overnight, it's like you closed your eyes and all of this clutter just formed. And that's how complexity works too. 
It happens slowly over the course of time. As we start to age, clutter starts to form in our hearts and life becomes less and less simple. More and more activities and, and priorities and responsibilities come our way and suddenly you feel like you've got, you're, you're just like a piece of fabric that is stretched way too tight and if it stretches any more, it's just going to rip in, into two pieces. It happened that way with the Israelites too. The foundation of their nation started with the Ten Commandments, all of which were very simple and very straightforward. The Lord was very clear in His expectations. But then the question started. Like, can we get some further clarification on this Sabbath issue? And what does it really mean to work? And what technically constitutes adultery? By the time Jesus walked in Palestine, God's people had built a hedge around the Mosaic Law so that their own, with their own verbal laws to ensure that the written law was implemented the, the right way and at the right times. In fact, they had codified all of the Old Testament Scripture to produce 613 laws. 613 laws out of 10 commandments. To those laws, they added hundreds of rules and regulations and traditions so that in the minutest area of life, the rightness and the wrongness of every action was determined by a rule. For example, Exodus 31.15 lays down a, a rule about the seventh day of the week, reminding people that it is supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. So the rabbis decided to add some complexity to, to that law. And there they divided work into 39 different categories. One specific labor that was prohibited on the Sabbath day was plowing. A person couldn't plow on the Sabbath. But you didn't even have to, to own a plow or to be at a plow to be considered plowing. If a person got up from a chair and as they got up, you know, you pressed down on the chair to, to boost yourself up. If the legs of the chair made a furrow in the ground, they were to, considered to have been guilty of plowing on the Sabbath day. And while the Israelites might have began with the best of intentions, they, they cluttered their hearts with complexity. And in doing so, they choked out the simplicity of what it means to be a child of God. The, the result of complexity is a heart filled with clutter. And that clutter is manifested in a variety of, of ways in our, in our life. A cluttered heart lives at a hurried pace. There, there's no time to stop and rest because complexity constantly pulls us in a thousand different directions. A cluttered heart is, is only capable of superficial engagements. No real relationships of any depth can be formed because there's simply just too many competitors that, that pull for our attention. That we, a, a limited heart simply just doesn't have the resources to, to deal with. A cluttered heart lacks or suffers from a lack of focus. Complexity demands that attention and focus be constantly divided and because they are, nothing is really done with care or attention. Worst of all, Clutter squeezes out love. It makes sense, though, because how can you have time to do something as simple as love when you're stretched out so thin? It would be nice to find true simplicity in an increasingly complex world, wouldn't it? it imagine what it must be like to have an uncluttered heart. Imagine an undivided focus. Imagine a, a return to the basic truth of loving God and with all that you are and then letting that love spill out into love for your neighbor. Imagine it, but know this, no one is, is accidentally simple. If the heart becomes cluttered unintentionally over time, true simplicity only comes to those who intentionally pursue it. The, the only way to battle complexity and, and to battle clutter is to take an active stance against it. 
The, the child of God knows the beauty of simplicity, but that's because the child of God fights for, for an uncluttered heart. And to do this, I think you have to have a, a focus like a child. Think of it like this. Parents, we're a bunch of liars, aren't we? Now, come on, you, you know it's true. It, it's not that we tell outright lies to our, to our kids. It's that we, on occasion, withhold the full truth from them. For example, we, we often don't tell our kids of any plan that we have that's more than a week away. Why? Because of our own sanity, right? Because kids have a laser-like focus when, when they see something that they deem worthy of their attention. Whether it's a birthday party or a trip to grandma's or even a meal at their favorite restaurant. Everything else in their consciousness just seems to, to fade away to the periphery. And, and then the questions start, right? Is, is it Friday yet? Are we there yet? How much longer can we go early? How much time is left? All of those qu- questions are a result of the focus that they have. And this focus is... I think not a bad representation of, of, of what simplicity is meant to be like in the life of a Christian. It, it's a single-mindedness that is rightly fixated on, on, on one thing that causes everything else to be appropriately secondary. When you have that kind of focus, life just doesn't seem to be as complex as it, as it once was. Je- Jesus tells us about this kind of simplicity in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is what he says. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then everything else will be provided for you. Simple enough, isn't it? Don't don't seek many things. Seek one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and watch how the rest of life will be put into perspective. That's pretty clear, isn't it? But what's not so clear, and perhaps even more descriptive, is what Jesus said just a few verses earlier. This is what he said in verse 22 of chapter 6. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? I've I've always thought that verse was a little out of place. The whole section here of this Sermon of the Mount is speaking against materialism and worry because oftentimes those two things are, are the same are similar sides of the same coin. We worry about tomorrow, so we accumulate and try to insulate ourselves from, from anything that might do us harm. Don't be like that, Jesus says. Instead of living by sight, live by faith. And, and trust that God not only can feed and clothe you, but also remembers every good thing that you've done and stores up for you in heaven a future reward. And then out, out of nowhere seems to come this verse about the eye. Again, it seems out of place, right? but not when you see it through the lens of simplicity. Jesus says that the eye is the lamp, and the lamp wasn't there just to to be an interior decoration for the living room. No, the lamp was there for one reason only, to illuminate. And to the extent of that, illumination would be dependent upon the quality of the lamp. You know, is the lamp full of oil? Is the glass clear or distorted? Is Is the lamp shaded? And Jesus said that the eye is the lamp of the body. And just like a home needs a good lamp, Our body needs good eyes. The word translated here as good can also be translated as single. A paraphrase of that translation from from that perspective reads like this. It says, What you have your focus on reveals the state of your heart. And there are lots of things competing for your focus, most of which can be bought with money. But you, as children of God, need a sharp vision 
and a single focus on one thing. And what you do, and when you do, the rest of everything else will fade into the background. I really like that. Because complexity clouds our vision. It divides our focus. But simplicity is that childlike virtue that sharpens our gaze. So how do we fight for this kind of simplicity of focus? How do, how do we choose to grow down in, in simplicity? Well, the Bible calls this fight abiding. Let me take you back to John chapter 15. Uh, we talked about this passage at the beginning of this series. It's where Jesus t- uh, told us about the imperative growth of the Christian. This is what he says in verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. In this simple verse, Jesus boils down what life in him is like. It's abiding. This is how you overcome complexity and move toward simplicity. It's it's not a calendar management issue. It's not a system of tasking and organization. Over and above any of those tools and resources that we have, it's about realigning our focus to be set on Jesus. This is the core of what it means to abide in Jesus. Fortunately for us, the the Gospel of John doesn't only contain the commandment to abide in Jesus, but it also gives us a picture of what doing so looks like. Way back in chapter 1, where Jesus was relatively a new figure on the religious landscape, I mean, sure, there were rumors surrounding him, there were rumors about his birth, his teaching, his power, but by far and away, still the biggest draw on the religious landscape was John the Baptist. John was the fearless preacher who called the Pharisees to task. John was the eccentric prophet who quoted from obscure passages from centuries earlier. But in this instance, John had caused a different kind of ripple. The the previous day, Jesus had approached the Jordan River, and John stopped what he was doing, and he made a powerful declaration in chapter 1, verse 29. This is what he says. He says, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then when the same thing happened the next day, two of John's disciples inquired a little further. Here's what it says in verses 35 and 38. It says, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? It's a good question, isn't it? Here are these two men who were followers of John, and John makes this declaration about who Jesus is as Jesus walks by, and suddenly Jesus has got two hangers on. So what were they looking for? Their answer seems to say, we don't know. And instead of answering the question uh, of Jesus, they ask another question of Jesus. They said, teacher, where are you staying? And that's another good question But it's not a good question because it redirects the question of Jesus and it buys them a little bit more time to come up with a better answer. It's a good question because of the word staying. This is the same word that we find over in John 15, this time spoken by Jesus when he says, Abide in me and I in you. That's what the men were asking. Where are you abiding? Where are you remaining? Where are you going to be? Because that's where we want to go. We want to go and be with you, to, to remain with you, to abide with you. And so here we have the answer to our own question of not only what it looks like to abide, but also how you go about abiding in Jesus. These early disciples, they didn't know the ins and outs of, uh, of who Jesus was. Sure, they might have had an inkling of who, who he was, but they were a long way from being fully able to articulate the, the good news of the gospel. In their minds, the, the coming Messiah was going to be uh, um, 
a political leader, maybe a general or a revolutionary, one who would help free the nation of Israel from Roman oppression and take them back to the times of, of the likes of King David. And so could this be the guy? Well, maybe so. And that's why they returned Jesus' question with one of their own when, when he asked him, what are you looking for? And so the two guys, they, they look at each other and shrug their shoulders as if to say, Jesus, the truth is we don't exactly know. We don't know exactly what we're looking for, but we know you're different and we know you're unique. And wherever you're going, that's where we want to go too. And that's how it begins for all of us. We, we catch a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe we've got some theological background. Maybe we, we've got better answers than these two guys. Or maybe we're just hearing about Jesus for the first time. But regardless, abiding in Jesus begins not when we learn about Him, but when we actually encounter Him and when we find ourselves so arrested by that vision that we know that we need more. To really abide in Christ, we, we start with a glimpse of Jesus. And in that glimpse of Him, we find the only true power that can hold our attention and our focus for all of eternity. And once our imagination is, and our love is captured, life starts becoming less and less complex thing is though is we don't have to sit around and wait for that to happen these early disciples didn't do that and though abiding begins with a glimpse of jesus it's, it continues with an intentional choice i don't spend a lot of time out on boats mainly because i don't have one so if you're looking for a christmas gift for me well i'm just saying but but whenever i do i'm, I'm always a little bit amazed at the power and the current of the water it's one of those forces that's always there no matter how still and pristine the water on top seems to be. Imagine this, and if you've spent any time out on the lake, you'll, you'll understand this. You go out on the boat on one of those clear summer days. The, the clouds are minimal, the wind even less. I mean, it is the perfect day to be out on the lake. And so you cruise out into the middle of the lake, and when you get in the middle, you shut down the motor of, of the boat right in the middle with the intent of just, you're just going to let the kids swim a while. Right? So, you know, you spend the next hour or so throwing each other off the side of the boat. You practice your cannonballs. You, you have a snack. But then inevitably you have to, to restart the motor. You have to reposition the boat. Because even though you turned off the, mo the boat in the middle, you look up and you notice that you're, you're closer to one side of the shore than you were an hour before. Why? It's because you drifted. You didn't mean to move. You didn't have any intention of changing your position. You just stop fighting the current. You just stop paying attention. And because there are constant currents, you are, you are always moving, whether, whether you recognize it or not. When, when you're out on the lake, unless you take an active effort against doing so, you're going to drift. And that's true in all areas of our life. Drifting, drifting is bound to happen without intentionality. You might mean to cut down your spending this year, but without intentionality, you're going to drift from that vision. You might mean to, to eat less sugars this year, but without a plan, you're going to drift away from your goals. You might mean to, to read more and watch less TV, but unless you take active measures to do so, you're going to drift. When you do nothing, you drift. And you drift despite all of your good intentions and all of your resolute statements. You're always going to drift. And know this, no one ever drifts toward Jesus. No one ever did nothing and woke up the next day closer to Jesus than they were the day before. We drift away from him, not toward him. If, if we want to move toward Jesus, it's going to take an active stance against the current that's always moving us further and further and further away from him. 
That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to do something that's very simple and yet very profound. In in chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. He says, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. He says, pay attention. Because if you don't, if you're not paying active attention, you're going to drift. And if you drift, it's going to be away from Jesus, not toward Jesus. These men in John chapter 1, they made an intentional choice to, to focus on Jesus. Even though they didn't know what they were looking for exactly, they chose to go and be with Him, to abide with Him. The simplicity of, of abiding in Christ isn't going to happen by accident. Every day we will have to bring some intentionality to our walk with Jesus. We aren't going to stumble into abiding, and each day we're going to have to choose to do it over and over and over again. And as life becomes more complex, we must make intentional choices about where we want to focus ourselves. If we do nothing at all, our natural course is to drift further away from Jesus, not toward Jesus. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that abiding in Jesus is simply an act of the will. Because it's not. It's, it's driven forward by faith. There will be times when you don't feel like abiding. There will be times because you're just too tired or you've got too much to do or something else seems uh, more important at the moment. And, when, and what we must do in those times is, is more than act. We must believe. We must believe that Jesus, no matter how much we want to abide in him, wants to abide with us even more. And this faith works itself out in all kinds of practical ways every day. We believe the Bible is God's word, right? So we act on that belief and we set the alarm clock for 30 minutes earlier so that we can get up and spend that time with Jesus before our day gets started. We believe that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth and so we act on that belief and we we make a budget that we can live generously inside of. We believe that the kingdom of God is of top priority and of utmost importance, so we act on that belief and we fix our eyes on Jesus singularly and let other priorities of life be framed within our vision of Him. Abiding becomes more than than an idea or an aspiration. It's a state of simplicity. It's a state of simplicity that we have to fight daily for. And when we do, a funny thing is we we find happening. Back in John chapter 1, there's one other detail that lets us know what the experience of abiding looks like. John John records the actual time that the disciples followed Jesus as around 10 o'clock in the morning. But he also tells us that they stayed with him all day. He drops in this little detail as if to say, "And, and can you believe it? When we looked up, we had spent the whole day with Jesus. The whole day was gone. That's simplicity. That's focus. That's childlike. Rather than checking our messages on our iPhones every 30 minutes or, or worrying about what has to come next, these men were lost in the power of a new affection. And suddenly, like children, all the other aspects of life that were crowding them suddenly didn't seem as important. Complexity was reduced to simplicity in the presence of Jesus. And so if you want to grow up in Christ, then begin to choose to grow down in complexity Simply put, choose simplicity. Even more simply put, choose Jesus. If you want to grow up in Christ, grow down in complexity and grow up in simplicity. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we know that uh, we live in a complicated world. But Father, we also know that 
complicated world and, and complexity was never your intent, was never your design, that we have made our world that way. And so, Father, would you help us to, to grow up in you by choosing to grow down in complexity, by choosing to have a singular focus on your Son, on Jesus, so that everything else in the world might just fade away to the background. Father, would you help us to have that childlike faith, that childlike focus on your Son, that we might choose to seek first the kingdom of God and let you take care of everything else. Father, thank you for, for Jesus. And thank you for, for his singular focus that, that he carried out in his time on this world, on this earth, that he had to, to bring about our redemption. So, Father, may we come to him like little children so that we might enter into the kingdom of heaven. Father, would we choose to grow down in complexity so that we might grow up in Him. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.